here's one thing that is likely to happen once you start adopting self-management, is you will suddenly reveal the enormous amount of waste uh, that happened in the old traditional hierarchical system, right? There's all of these endless meetings and coordinating meetings, um, you know, to make everybody at all levels of the hierarchy feel in control and secure. Um, there's all of these useless Excel and PowerPoint documents that were only produced so that information could flow up and down the hierarchy. Um, you know, there's all of these control mechanisms that were in place. There's all of these things that people do to cover their ass to look good you know, in front of the hierarchy. Right? Gary Hamill talks about the fact that most people have two jobs, right? One job that they really do and then another job just to look good in the eyes of other people. Um, and pretty much all of that might suddenly fall away, right? And something I hear again and again is how suddenly there's all of this free time that suddenly appears, right? Um, now, I think that that free time is wonderful, right? Like, let's not spend any time in useless tasks, right? Let's work for the purpose. But what I call free time, other people might call excess capacity, right? We basically pay people now who don't have much to do, right? Um, and typically that tends to concentrate in people who used to have sort of middle management jobs, right? Um, top management jobs and people in staff functions. Um, and so then the question becomes, okay, but so what happens with these, to these people, right? Um, do we simply get rid of them? Do we fire them? Do we reallocate them? You know, um, and that's, that's sort of the language that we use in traditional systems, right? Where we see people as objects that we can move around an org chart. Um, now, basically, I think there's, there's two things that can happen. In some cases, but I think these are really rare, exceptional cases, um, maybe your organization is really bleeding cash, is on the brink of survival, right? And in that case, you know, it, it might indeed, you know, make sense to say, hey, we won't be able to use everybody because we really urgently need to spend less money, right? And in that case, you can ask some people to leave. And obviously, from sort of a self-managing perspective, what you really want to do is invite people, maybe in the right categories, um, to say, hey, is there anybody who's willing to leave and have a voluntary program? Um, and very often you find that, you know, some people want to leave because this whole self-management thing doesn't really make sense to them um, or because they were looking at something else in their life anyway. And so this might just be the welcome opportunity to do that, especially if, you know, with the circumstances you can still provide sort of a generous, um, you know, way for them to leave. But in almost all other cases, what you can do is use all that talent that is freed up, all that time that is freed up, to energize all those projects um, that will serve your purpose, that people keep talking about, but that you never get around to, right? In most organizations, you know, there's endless number of initiatives and projects that you could do because, you know, there's all this purpose that you could try to pursue. And typically we're lacking energy and people and time to do that. Um, and so what then happens is sort of an invitation for people to say, okay, you know, here, you know, find yourself some other place, something that you're excited about, something that is valuable for the organization. Right? It's really important to provide as much clarity around this um, as you can, because that gives people safety, right? When you start talking about self-management, you know, when people realize that some of that work disappears, 
that can bring out a lot of fears and a lot of the shadow sides. And what then happens is that um, people stand, tend to think about, okay, where, what do I need to do? Where do I need to position myself to be sure that I keep my job? Right? And then people start to become selfish, right? No, get out of my way. Like, this is, this is you know, my new spot. If you can clarify up front um, that there won't be, and there's no reason to be afraid because the organization is doing well enough um, that, and that there will be time for people to find ways that they can add value, suddenly you create something very different. There is safety and then people can start to look around and say like, mm, you know, but I've always wanted to do this. Maybe I can do it now. Right? And I've, I've heard from a lot of organizations where wonderful things start to happen, where people really start to, you know, grow into roles that they never thought that they might do, that they never thought would be available to them. Something else that I see is that there's a real solidarity that happens where people say like, hey, if you want to do a little bit of my job, that's great. Maybe I can do a little bit of somebody else's job and learn in that way. Right? Um, let me tell you a story that I thought was just so beautiful from one particular transformation. Um, and it's the, uh, um, the transformation that started to happen at the Belgian Ministry of Transport a few years ago. Um, one of the things that happened was that, you know, uh, you know as teams were starting to self-manage, um, they could start to work from home for a day or two a week, right? Um, and, you know, for a lot of people that was, that was wonderful, right? Oh, you know, I don't need to go to traffic jams and I can work from home for a day or two. But then there were some people, um, you know, people in the ministry that were receiving uh, citizens, right, um, at the sort of at, at the receptions, that said like, hey, but in some ways that's not fair, right? We would love to work from home, but you know, obviously we have to to be here um, at the reception to talk with um, to talk with the citizens. And so what happened is that some of the people who worked from home, um, you know, who could take files home to work, said you know what, I think I, I would find it quite interesting, you know, as a change to work one or two days a week um, interacting with citizens rather than just doing files at home. And so people sort of just started, you know, exchanging roles for a day or two, right? This is not something, not, that wasn't a program that HR devised, this is just something that happened, you know, real solidarity. And so these people that used to be five days a week with citizens could now work one or two days a week from home with files. And then something started to become, I think, really amazing, which is that then some of the cleaning personnel um, from, from the ministry said, hey, but no, no fair, like we would also like to work a day or two from home, but obviously you won't pay us to clean our own homes, right? So, um, and what they found was that um, people that, you know, were doing cleaning could maybe do a day or two a week working in a call center in the first line of the call center, right? And so some of these people trained to become call center operators and, and because they had new software that allowed people in call centers to work a day or two from home, well, suddenly you had people that were used to be cleaning the office five days a week that were now cleaning the office three or four days a week and were taking calls for a day or two from home, right? And when I spoke with um, Laurent Ledoux, who was heading this transformation at the ministry a few years ago, he really stressed the importance of safety as a mechanism for these kind of mechanisms of solidarity to, to happen. Is when people feel secure enough that their job 
is not at risk, then they start to be open to these kind of things, right? And at the ministry, they made a really interesting decision. They used to have almost 40,000 square meters of office space. And because so many more people work from home and because they renovated the office space, they reduced that space to 20,000. And so logic would have it that you need less cleaning personnel, for instance. But they decided not to, to cut back on, on the personnel, but instead to do what I've just talked about, which is, hey, let's try and find if there's other ways that these people can do their work. Um, again, just in the name of um, safety and solidarity and realizing that people are so much more than their labels, right? Than their labels of, you know, I'm a file worker, or I'm a receptionist, or I'm, you know, a cleaning person. And that people can, you know, find and invent their, themselves work that serves the purpose of the organization um, when they look inside in a way that HR programs could never do. But for all that, I think it's important that upfront you clarify for yourself and you clarify with others what happens to that time that might suddenly be freed. You know, will some of that time lead to job losses? Um, or can you reassure everyone that it will only lead to them doing more interesting work and it's up to them to find what more interesting work they want to do. Perhaps you've noticed there is no paywall, no monthly membership to access this video series. That's because the videos live in the gift economy. This is how it works. I gift everything that goes into making the videos, my time, energy and insights, and you get to choose what feels right to gift back. Please take a moment to reflect on what would feel good to give in return to help me continue doing this work. Thank you.